Do you have teenage children? Have you raised teenage children? Are you a teenager, okay? Put your mind in that sort of frame of mind. So anyways, it's found in today's epistle, these words, uh, to, to the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. Uh, God is outside of time. So a day could be a thousand years or a thousand years can be like a day. And so a senior in high school, he's a teenage son, and he was listening uh, to his father and said, Dad, I heard the Bible says that Days like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. And the father said, well, you're absolutely correct. And he goes, Dad, I was thinking, if a thousand years are like a day and days like a thousand years, then maybe a thousand dollars are like a dollar and a dollar is like a thousand dollars. And the father goes, yeah, that could be. And so the teenage son looked at his dad and said, hey, Dad, how about a dollar? You know what his dad said to him? In a day. <laughs> yeah, um, we think about that. But to God, time doesn't matter. Um, America's religious beliefs, and in Advent, we talk about the end times. This is what Americans believe. These, this, these polls are from 2021. 72% of Americans believe in heaven. Uh, only 62% believe in hell. Interestingly, um, 55% of all Americans believe that Christ will actually return. That means half of all, nearly half of all Americans believe that Jesus won't Return, uh, what we profess every week. Uh, he will come back to judge the living and dead. That will not take place. If I believe that Jesus won't come back and judge, you sort of do whatever you want. You know how the saying goes the cat's away, so mice will what? Play. Okay, that's what Americans actually uh, believe about that. But the question this morning isn't what Americans believe, the question is what do you believe? When you say those words, he will come back to judge the living and the dead. Is that something that you actually hold on to and believe? Is that something that you actually look forward to or maybe dread or hope it's not true? For us believers, we know the answers. We know that God exists because the universe had a definite beginning. Dr. Stephen Meyer argued this, that... uh, The universe had to have a beginning uh, because then something or someone must have caused it to come into existence. And this cause must be spaceless, timeless, immaterial, and extremely powerful, like a kind of God. He's a Harvard scientist. And so all of us here are familiar with the Big Bang. If you're familiar with naturalism, Big Bang, and then then the, the universe expands. Now, Einstein said that the universe expands. However, he believed in the theory of relativity that something's holding the universe together. Now, who's to argue with Einstein? But then, in 1920, a scientist had Einstein go to the Hubble Hubble telescope in California and showed him that the universe is continuing to expand, and the more expands, the outerness of it expands more. And so Einstein had to readjust his theory that the universe is expanding, and if we go back in time, that the universe shrunk, 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 and that the universe came down to something that was extremely dense and tight. And so Einstein had to um, sort of abandon his theory and believe that the universe had a beginning, so hence there has to be a what? A God. Where did that come from? Because material is not eternal, only God is. There's a scientist in the 1980s who uncovered this. Um, but let me, let me go to Scripture first. What Einstein discovered, God got to way before he did. Matter of fact, it's the first words in the Bible. Can you read it for me? 
In the beginning, God, you see Einstein, that Hubble telescope simply confirms what I said in Genesis. In the beginning, God, the world has a beginning and God is behind that. Matter and space and time is not eternal, only God is. God knew. There is a, a physicist who uh, had to adjust not only his theories, but he had to adjust his worldview. And he came to understand that the universe had a beginning. This is what he wrote. This is an exceedingly strange development, um, unexpected by all but theologians. So theologians had it right from the first place. The universe had a beginning and God initiated it. Then he wrote this. You might have heard it before. If you don't, maybe hear it again and I can take you to the source. For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. As he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. There is a beginning. There is a God. In the beginning, God. And it's what scripture tells us and what science is now discovering, at least many scientists. There is a beginning. St. Augustine, the, arguably the greatest theologian who ever lived, wrote this. God is outside of time, space, and matter. Time, space, and matter that we know was created for us. Those laws don't apply to God. God's eternal. He's omnipotent. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. And so according to St. Augustine, I agree with him. If there is a beginning, there will be a what? An end. Only God's eternal. This world will end. Now, I'd like to share this even though it's not well-received. Do you know the best way to tell time? Don't look at a watch. Look in the mirror. No offense. Best way to tell time. There will be an end. Can you read this with me? And so St. Peter, given a revelation from God, says that there will be an ending and the world that we know will not be. God will begin a new heaven and earth. And then... He tells us that, that God will come back like a thief, and things about a thief is, they, is that a thief just doesn't cut, not come to steal, but the true definition of a thief is they come into your house uninvited. God's not waiting for our invite. He will move on his own. And there will be a time when Jesus comes back on his own, and he will remove the world we know it. He'll create a new one, but we'll get to that later. You see... Scripture says that Jesus will return soon, and I'm going to refer you to Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. Matter of fact, our, our school children did a play, that play last, um, last spring. But when Scripture uses the word soon, it's different when you and I use the word soon. You and I will say, well, soon I'll have lunch, or soon I'll watch the Browns game, or soon it'll be Christmas, or I don't know, soon we'll, we'll be in winter. But that's you and I using the word soon. We mean a day, a week, a couple weeks, maybe, maybe a month. That's how we use the word soon. But when God uses the word soon to mean judgment day, it could be 5, 10, 15, 25,000 years. Soon to God means nothing because God's outside of time. If I told you that we are living in end times, you'd think I might be some sort of TV preacher, but we are living in end times. We just don't know if it's tomorrow, next week, 5,000 years from now, or seven years from now. He is coming back soon. To God, time is irrelevant, even though it's relevant to us. He is coming back soon. And so the question then that we ask, since God began everything and God will end everything, and the question we have to ask since 
God is outside of time, but we are inside of time, why does today exist? Now, we might say, well, today exists because it's Sunday and we go to church for an hour and hopefully watch a ball game and our team does well. Or maybe we'll go out to you, go visit some people. But to a lot of people, today exists so I can do what I want. That's why today exists. Today exists because I got stuff to do. Maybe I have to go to work and we have a to-do list. And that's why today exists. But to God, today exists for a very different reason. Can you all read it with me? You see, a day to the Lord is like a thousand years, a thousand years like, like the Lord to a day because today exists because someone's going to come to faith. Maybe in defiance, maybe at this church. We know at 11 o'clock Calvin James will be baptized. He'll come to faith. Today exists because somebody somewhere God has planned for that person to say, I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm saved. That's why today exists. And God is very patient, not wanting who to perish? Anyone to die. When they say perish, it means damned. He is patient, so that's why today exists. Someplace, somewhere, someone's coming to faith, and that's why the earth still spins on its axis and the solar system is functioning. Why? Not because of accidents, but God designed it for someone to come into a relationship with him. That's why today exists to come into faith. If you're not familiar with that scene, I ask that you become familiar with it, especially if you're an adult. It's seen from the heart-wrenching movie called Schindler's List. It's filmed in black and white because Steven Spielberg wanted it to be timeless. Schindler's List brings home the catastrophic event of the Holocaust. If you're not familiar with the backdrop of the movie, I'll share it with you. Oscar Schindler is a German businessman, and he makes millions of German marks using Jewish slave labor. He takes the Jews as slaves, he opens a factory, he makes pots and pans for the German army, and he makes millions of dollars, and he lives a lavish lifestyle. For every Jew slave he has, he has, he has to pay the German Nazi government for that. He has about 1,100 Jewish slaves that are employed by him. And as time goes on, what he, what he sees around him, even though he's secure as a German citizen, he begins to see the horrors of the Holocaust and the abuse and the killing of Jews. And he comes to realize that his enterprise is much more than making millions of German marks, but it's about saving lives. He comes to the point where he sees those 1,100 Jews as someone who they must save. So he makes excuses to save children because they can clean the inside of barrels of guns and of artillery. And he keeps the Jews together and he pays and he bribes off the Nazi officials. And he comes to understand that his work has something far greater. At the end of the movie, it ends on May 8th, the same day Nazi Germany capitulated to the Allies. And he hears at midnight, surrounded by the Soviet army, that the Jews will go free to be taken back to their places of origin. And since he employed Jew slave labor, he now becomes a war criminal. Instead of him employing people for his gain, he will have the allied armies and he will have Jewish organizations searching to arrest him for employing Jewish slave labor. He understands his plot. Now, what you're looking at the scene is the very end of the movie. And the Jewish people around him, they're called Schindler's List because they're put on his list, they understand his great work of sacrifice. And so they make him, they make him a gold ring for him to put on to remember that he saved 1,100 lives. And he realizes he must get out. If not, he's going to be captured by either Soviets or a war criminal. 
And then he comes to understand this and everything comes crashing down on him that he could have done more. Maybe if I sold my car, I could have had two more Jews work for me. And maybe if I gave away a lot more money, I could have saved another Jews. And he begins weeping uncontrollably, realizing there's things he could have done to save Jews from the Holocaust and that every Jew mattered. And the Jews there comforted him that he did a great thing, a great thing for them and for mankind. That's how we need to see each day. Each day is a chance for other people to come to faith. Each day is a chance for someone to be saved. Each day is a chance. I could have gotten one more person I didn't. Each day is another person coming to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It sort of echoes back to when I go on um, shut-in calls and, and I visit nursing homes, and someone's laying in bed for six, seven years, and they say, Pastor, why am I still alive? I'm not doing much. Well, there's a purpose for you to be here. What is it? I don't know. There's a purpose for you to be here today. God is working through it in ways we don't understand. So the first reason why day today exists is one more. One more person will come to faith whom God appointed. God doesn't want anyone to perish. And then St. Peter says this about the second one. Since the world will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you and me to be? What type of people are we to be? Well, the first thing is be diligent in who God says you are. God says you're a redeemed, forgiven person, then be a redeemed, forgiven person. Live in that forgiveness and grace. Do you remember the woman who was getting stoned for adultery and Jesus stopped it? Then Jesus went up to the woman and said, where are your accusers? And she said, uh, they left. And Jesus says, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Be who God says you are. Live as redeemed, holy people. Be diligent in that. Make yourself useful. What do you mean by that? What have I done today to be useful for somebody else? If I opened a door, had I said hello to someone? Have I been useful in blessing somebody else's life? Am I being a good father, good mother? Am I a good child? Am I useful? Or pretty much think about myself. Live holy and godly lives. How? Well, be at peace and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. My prayer for all of us here is every day you remind yourself, John 3, 16. Do I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Every single day ask that. Do I believe that Jesus Christ lived and died for me? Remain in faith. That's how we live. How do you want Jesus Christ to find you when he returns? In God's house worshiping? Living your own life, doing your own thing? When Jesus Christ returns, what will he find us doing? This is how we live today. How diligent who God says we are, being useful, believing on the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Remain in faith. Finally, I'm going to be a little controversial here. Don't buy into end times or horror movies, genres, and being left behind or the great disappearance or late great planet Earth. Friends in Christ, when Jesus Christ returns, it'll be the end of it. He's not coming back secretly. Jesus never does anything secretly. When he comes back, Matthew tells us that he'll bring the angels with him sitting on his throne of glory and everybody will see him. Even those who are dead will be risen from their graves and see him. He is coming back once. Just like the ark. When the ark door went shut, the ark door was what? Shut. Nobody else got in. He's coming back once. There are no second chances. Don't buy into that stuff. It's meant to scare you. It's meant to be Hollywood with great cinema. Great cinema. That's not it. He's coming back once. When he comes back, everybody will know, including those who are dead. He's coming back 
And for us believers, us believers in Jesus, this is how we receive that. Can you read it with me? We need to fear the coming of Christ as little as the angels in heaven. Why? We believe. We're forgiven. We're redeemed. That's our home. A thousand years or a day, it's all true. We just don't know when. So how about this for a closing thought? Can you all read it with me? Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen.